Welcome to the PreparedX Podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello, and welcome to episode 121 of the PreparedX Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Rob Burton. And just before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the International Crisis Management Conference, the Center of Excellence for Crisis Management Professionals. And as you know, or if you don't know, uh, annual membership is just $99, and you get access to a ton of information, a uh, video library with over 140 presentations, monthly webinars, discounts on events such as professional training and the annual conference. So go to crisisconferences.com for more for more details <laughs> I, and uh we, we have a, a a dog in the background we, we love it we love the natural uh progression bob of the of the podcast so uh we'll, we'll, we'll keep we'll keep that in don't worry <laughs> that's genuinely live of course yeah of course of course well I, i'm gonna i'm gonna introduce bob straight away then and, and get jump right into it this is episode 121 and uh i'd like to interest uh, um invite you bob mc uh, mcrate uh welcome to the show and uh bob between you and your and your puppy on, on that end your dog if you could just let uh, the viewers know about your career so far please Sure. Thank you very much, Robert. I appreciate the opportunity very much. Uh, my own basic career is uh, a number of years with the U.S. government, uh, State Department, other agencies, uh, just about 23 years, uh, U.S. Army Special Operations, uh, teaching some graduate school from time to time, and uh, maintain an interest in uh, advanced weapon systems, and the issue of uh, national, uh, national, international relations in terms of the life sciences. Thank you. Great. Well, that's great, uh, and uh, thanks for for joining us. And of course, we're going to delve into your experience uh, on the exercise side of uh, of the house and we're going to be talking all things uh, nuclear uh we're going to talk about critical infrastructure and of course um everything you know water supply electric grids and so on so thanks for joining us bob of course thank you yeah so let's uh nuclear strategic level exercises i know you've had some experience in the past um with this uh, can you provide an example um obviously without going into too much you know uh information sharing but um, of a strategic level exercise scenario that you've worked on uh, in general uh parameters uh, and uh, you know some of those uh challenges and factors you had to consider uh, when planning and executing such a, a high stake simulation yes thank you uh it sounds ancient, but about 40 years ago, in the mid 80s, when there was a very real capability of the United States and the Soviet Union to attack each other with long range missiles or with short range missiles launched from a submarine for surprise attack, mm -hmm. we had the unenviable task of trying to prepare US leadership for a situation where there might be a renegade launch or a rogue launch, a surprise launch, or an accidental launch, in effect, anything that could lead to a misunderstanding and could it result in, a, in nuclear missiles being fired one upon the other. 
we had to prepare for all kinds of possible scenarios and contingencies. And the effort that I was involved in was to look at all of the crisis management principles that would be involved, things that you're familiar with in the corporate world, sure. how decisions are made in a group, how do you assess the threat, what, how do you determine options in the midst of a crisis, how do you sort out what's important versus what's not important, and so on. Yeah, that that's great, and of course, you know, coming from the military yourself, and you know, I spent uh, you know a number of years in the British Army as well. That you know, that strategic decision making in high pressure situations is certainly an opportunity during these types of strategic level exercises to practice that. Was was that the case um, in, in a number of those exercises? Yes, uh, to try to keep things uh, on an even keel, uh, we were very serious about preparing our leaders. For that eventuality, we had no choice but to do so uh, because of the way the world was in 1984, 85, 86. Mm -hmm. uh, there's ample evidence from history that there was lots of room for miscalculation. I was part of a team that sat down with some Soviet leaders uh, in that same time period reviewing the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962. And... Uh, there are many take-home ideas I could share with your audience, but probably the most important one were the number of issues and assumptions that we both brought to the table about the Cuban Missile Crisis, where the Soviets uh, had blind spots about us and we had blind spots about them, and our estimates of how leaders would behave and respond in terms of their evaluation of certain changing crisis circumstances were very different. And the, the take-home idea, the most impressive part of that episode looking at Cuba in 62, was uh, the uncountable numbers of opportunities for errors and miscalculation, quite apart, quite apart from the uh, question of the crisis itself. And then you move forward from 1962 to the mid-80s, and you say a lot of those same blind spots, a, lo a lot of those opportunities for misplaced assumptions incomplete information and trying to validate information you are getting, those all obtain in the mid eighties as well with a, with a much more lethal environment. Sure. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, moving along the line here to critical infrastructure exercises. Uh, I know you have a, you know, a wealth of knowledge in that space as well. Um, you know, given the complexity and then, uh, you know, the interconnectedness of the, uh, you know, modern infrastructure with, you know, obviously the connective uh, connection to the internet and of course, all those other systems and processes uh, that, um, you know, critical infrastructure uses. Um, how do you design a simulation that accurately, accurately represents the, the multitude of potential issues that could arise? Um, and of, of course, incorporating those lessons to be learned uh, from these exercises into actual actual infrastructure resilience planning. So it's quite it's quite a bit, and I'm sure quite complex. Um, how how uh, how how did you manage these, Bob? Well, I think it's a very tough question you pose, Robert, because no matter which infrastructure you choose, whether it's the public health system, the water supply system, supply chain, or the grid you still have to start with the basic building blocks of designing an exercise that is realistic because you want the leadership involved. That is the mixture of public and private leadership who would actually handle a crisis to be confronted with the very facts that they would be finding in their inbox 
uh, coming at them with machine gun speed. And these issues would have to be as reflective of reality and with a range of complexity from simple to incalculable to make sure that the realism is injected into the scenario you build. Sure. The second level of that that makes it more complex but also realistic is now we have to take into account with each succeeding year the evolution of new technologies that exist both for the control of this infrastructure and for shutting it off and controlling parts of it. I would go to the Fukushima, Fukushima disaster in Japan some years ago to illustrate that, uh, and it's true, I think, of most modern societies, uh, often people may say, well, we have a nuclear power plant and we have done exercises about what to happen when there's a core meltdown or when there's an emergency procedure. Well, that's all well and good, and you've done your crisis management for that. But what do you do when three things happen at once? There's a quake, there's a tsunami, and there is a meltdown. Right. And very often I find, much to my chagrin, that many of the leaders, many of the crisis managers, many of the people who are in terms of conveying their expertise do not deliberately try to make things colossally difficult for the leadership maybe because they're fearful of uh, embarrassment or failure or whatever, but it's in an exercise where nobody dies. It's in an exercise where maximum learning takes place. And then you are pushing people to the edge of their imagination and their capabilities. So when it looks at infrastructure failure, which can come about from nature, can come about from internal uh, sabotage, it can come about from terrorism, it can come about from a foreign entity, all those things which could bring down very critical infrastructures in a society, they have to be taken out and looked at very carefully in terms of the scenario you build, the decision-making challenges you throw at the, at the leadership, and thirdly, the ability to say, let's, let's put in a very finely granulated mix of simple, predictable issues with some very complex, mind-bending, upsetting issues right? Yeah. Where, there's, where there's cascading problems and no obvious solution in sight. Yep. Yeah, no, it's, it's good to push the boundaries uh, for sure. So uh, great stuff. Can we dig a little bit deeper, Bob? Uh, I'm thinking water supply exercises. Um, it's something we've never done actually here at PreparedX before. I know you've uh, you know done some work in that space. Um, could you elaborate on the key challenges that typically arise in these types of simulations, uh, particularly in scenarios involving maybe natural disasters uh, or terrorist type events? Uh, what are some of the challenges around that in terms of mitigating these potential problems? Well, uh, thank you. I'm going to try to keep the answer brief, but focused. Uh, my starting point would be with any group and designing the exercise would be to start with a grid that talks about low probability, high consequence scenarios. And, you know, be on the left side would be probability of event. And across the top would be uh, the degree of damage to the infrastructure itself and residually to society. And as you fill in the matrix and you look in each of the cells, you look at nine, nine distinct areas of scenario plausibility for a water system. And as you fill in the matrix, you start with some very fundamental things like who are our water supply companies? Where are our water supply sources? How do we 
chlorify or how do we purify, I should say, the water supply. Uh, the next question would be, how do we control issues that are, arise in terms of water purity? What are the triggering events? And, and uh, a third issue above that in terms of probability and net consequences, can we imagine situations with a water supply system where we do not have positive control either of the water quality and its potability itself or the supply flow to the ultimate customer Mm. or to establish uh, a control of the integrity of the water supply system in an entire community. And I just feel that when you lay out this matrix with the nine cells, my question would be, are we testing our capabilities in all nine cells mm. from the lowest probability to the lowest level of societal incidence, all the way up to high probability and high consequence? And do we really know how different our behavior, our responses, our options will be as we enter each one of those situations. My experience has been, regrettably, that for many people, either because of economy or lack of imagination or both, there's a tendency for people to default to the lowest common denominator. Let's, let's go over the same scenario we've done before. Yeah. Let's not push it too far because we don't want to embarrass people. And you never do find out what's going on at the other three or four cells of the matrix that are most challenging. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you, when you place challenging scenarios in front of leaders and you force them to think it through, I think it always pays dividends, especially when you have competent, well-trained engineers and people familiar with the water industry who can weigh in periodically and actually do a stop action in the middle of the exercise and say, wait a minute, here's a, here's a piece of ground truth we may have missed. Maybe you didn't realize that this particular valve or this particular pump or this particular system has this inherent weakness to it. So let me stop there. I, I hope that's answering your question. Yeah, no, it is. And as I think through the kind of the corporate exercises, which is a, a big part of what we do over here at, at PreparedX, um, you know, we, we try to kind of lead into that programmed approach where, you know, you're starting off with those, you know, those smaller exercises that, uh, you know, are, you know, maybe not as challenging as you advance the team and the program and, and get to a stage where you're, you're integrating all those different elements and really pushing, um, you know, the very edge of of uh, their abilities in terms of, uh, you know, what they may be experiencing. And of course, keeping it in the realm of reality at all times, um, because that's what, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, that, that's what they want in terms of um, the, their program. So I think that's, you know, very similar to, to what you described where, there with those nine, nine elements. And uh, I should point out to you in some of these exercises, going back to the nuclear for a moment, but applying it to the water situation, there were three things we did in our exercises that I would challenge your audience. Maybe they're already doing this, but three things that usually make the exercise even more challenging. Uh, one of them is to create a red cell. If you know what a red cell is, is a yep. combination of people who are highly expert in the field who can generate really complex problems. A second thing is to cut communications in the middle of the exercises uh, for a period of 10 to 15 minutes so that the regular degree of input and, and transactional discussions between the respondents and the players is cut off completely, yep. which in the real world could actually happen. What do you do with 15 minutes of no sound, 
no incoming information, no verification. What do you do with that? And I guess the third thing is uh, you throw in a colossal problem that no one saw coming, uh, something way out of left field uh, that really throws everything into a mess because all along things have been going smoothly with some bumps, but now you throw this colossal additional problem like you're in the middle of fixing a particular water problem in a community or a major city. And all of a sudden, one of the things you're relying on perhaps is electrical systems to help you, the electricity grid goes down mm. or something like that. And you wanna force your leadership team to deal with these extraneous variables and to see how they bounce back and interact and make decisions when the ground changes underneath them. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, actually moving quite nicely on now to um, electricity grid exercises. So um, I, I know this is a hot topic, you know, it seems to be a hot topic all night, you know, all the time, whether it's cyber related or whether it's, you know, just a, a strain on the grid. You know, we've got places like Phoenix at the moment. I think I read somewhere uh, earlier this week that they were over 20 days at 110 degrees or more. And of course, you know, the grid struggling out there to keep up with the demand of uh, all the air conditioning units and uh, and uh, the supply of uh, the electricity in the city there. So many challenges. Um, um, how have your electric electric uh, grid exercise scenarios evolved um, to reflect the changes with renewable energies and, of course, uh, you know uh, the challenges around keeping up with uh, you know the the different temperatures around the country? Well, I think again it continues to be challenging because there are weather extremes for example the winter i think it was of 2022 where the state of texas was near within days of, of jeopardy with its electrical grid collapsing because the winter was especially severe in texas putting a great strain on the electrical system and because of that uh it caused people to learn a lot of very painful lessons about uh, which is probably point number one of four points. Point number one is we don't really know what the limits of our electrical grid are until they're tested. Right. We don't really know what the stress limits are until they're truly tested in an extremely cold, sustained cold weather environment or a sustained hot weather environment. And, and we don't know, and this gets me to the point number two, we don't know who the players are that put us in a position to, and I'm gonna slice the bread very thin here, Robert. There is arguably a distinction between when you lose the grid, when you restore it, there's a restoration period, mm -hmm. things that have to take place. And then there's a full recovery period and they're not the same thing. Right. And. It's also important for a grid collapse in a major industrial area, occupied area, to be able to verify that every system, part of the system that came down is actually coming back. And there's there's been cases, I'm sure you're aware, where people in trying to bring a grid back have actually caused the system to go down again because the gradual uh, re-upping of the system puts too much of a load on it. It doesn't come back on like it should. And the technical issues of restoration and recovery get lost in the weeds. And very mm -hmm. often in grid exercises, 
the differentiation between restoration and recovery is not well exercised, not well probed. The third thing, which gets into the mischief of grid collapse, which gets us into the high technology area, is to begin to understand the different systems that can interfere with efforts to sustain the grid. And that would include taking a look at high technology systems in the electromagnetic world. That would be satellite systems, other electromagnetic systems that are out there that can have an indirect effect on your grid, the limitation of uh, standby replacement uh, power supply stations. We, they go by different names in different countries, but we're talking mm -hmm. about big uh, units where, where power is transferred, where the unit goes down or is disabled. You have to slide a new unit in if you can't recover the old unit, and you just can't go to a closet and bring a replacement unit right. in and just slide it into place. Yeah. So the all the level three of that complexity is how is your technology infrastructure? How robust is your technology? How vulnerable is it to external technologies that can disable it and can weaken its pace of recovery and the trajectory of its restoration recovery curve? And then the fourth one, which everybody overlooks, is human beings. Last time I looked, human beings require a few hours of sleep every night. And uh, they require food and they require rest and they require rejuvenation. Mm -hmm. How many people look at a 724 schedule and say, I got enough manpower that will be here all the time in any season for any reason to cover this no matter how long it takes without any defect or any absentees. You can see where I'm going with that. And yep. that is the, the wild card, very much the wild card of the personnel issues. Do you have the right people? And in the case of many countries, the question is, what is the role of their emergency services? What is the role of their military? What is the role of their infrastructure, their reserve infrastructure, if they have one, for grid restoration? Excellent. Well, um, this has uh, been fascinating. Um, I, I, I'd love to ch chat longer with you about this, and, and maybe we can reconnect again uh, and expand on a couple of these uh, topics here with regards to some of these exercises. Um, finally, though, before we let you go today, um, Bob, how about uh, you share a story or two from an exercise? Uh, I'm not sure if you've got one. Uh, obviously, exercises are quite serious, but you may have a funny one, uh, a serious one, or, or both. Well, uh, I'll, I'll try to give an exercise that's a little out of the box, but very real for any society. And uh, without naming names or, or identifying any particular location or of date. Of course, of course, yeah. One of the ones that's dear to my heart is what I call an agro-security exercise involving uh, mass cattle or mass animal die-offs from foot and mouth disease. Uh, this is... Uh, I'm going to condense it down to five or six sentences. The first thing is the scenario called for a foot mouth disease scenario involving several adjacent counties, fact number one. So the first thing was getting veterinarians and medical labs to verify and confirm that this was an FMD, FMD being foot and mouth disease. Mm -hmm. This was truly an outbreak. The second problem was isolating the origin of the outbreak so that the outbreak could be confined. Okay, 
Now, what you run into with the third issue is the true issue in any crisis, which is the desire of the government and law enforcement to try to put a fence around what's going on so that the crisis does not spread. And so here you have two groups working against each other. You have the veterinarians and the public health officials trying to find out the cause of the disease, whereas the state police and the National Guard are trying to figure out how can they contain this. The veterinarians are still trying to isolate what this is, isolate the herd, and recommend how to cull the herd and so on. Mm -hmm. The National Guard and their police are saying, let's just get all the pigs or all the cows together and let's just kill them all at once and bury them in the ground. <laughs> they say, and I'll just finish the story by saying, without going into the gory details, in the exercise, we found that there was a collision between the veterinarians and who wanted to use a variety of different mechanisms before a massive shoot and cull and the police and law enforcement who wanted to go to the cull immediately because killing animals and putting them in the ground in this horrible scenario, which we hope we never face, no society has to face it, nevertheless, put pressure on both sides. Huh. Really interesting. I know. And that's why we do these exercises, right? To, to get oh, yeah. to the bottom and, and make some decisions before we have to be challenged in, in a real situation. So that's a great example of that. Thank you, Bob. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. And so again, thanks. Thank you for your time uh, today. Um, you know, thanks for joining us. Um, for our listeners, if they want to touch base with you, um, how can they get a hold of you? I know we're going to drop your LinkedIn um, uh, link uh, to your profile uh, in the show notes. Uh, is that the best way they can get a hold of you? Yeah, that is, that's the best way. I think I would recommend that they do that. And uh, that's the way I tend to communicate with a lot of people who are interested in the areas that I work in. And I would if you allow me to put a plug in. Yeah, of um, course. Uh, I'm I'm just uh, very proud of the fourth edition of my book, which is called uh, Introduction to Emergency Exercise and Design, which is being used by a lot of collegiate graduate programs in emergency management. Mm -hmm. It's on Burnin Press, and it's been out uh, now about four weeks. But it's very popular and been used in a lot of graduate programs. So if people want to uh, see some of my thinking in the textbook, I invite them to take a look at that. Thank you very much, Robert. Yeah, you, you're welcome. Yeah, and please uh, share that link with me uh, for the book, and I'll add it to the show notes uh, for the team to post uh, once this goes live next week. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, well, that wraps up episode 121 of the PreparedX podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, why don't you check us out on iTunes and Raters or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, leave a comment let us know what you think about the podcast and uh, until next time have a safe and productive day